right, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Serious Angler podcast powered by our friends over at X2 Power Batteries. As, as your host, I am Bailey Igbert, and I have another sound going on in the background here that just threw me off for a loop. Uh, but as always, I'm your host, Bailey Igbert, and joined with me is the captain, Mr. Andy Full. You ever have those things in the background? Like you have, I have probably 30 tabs open right here, and there's like an ad that goes off, and you have no mm-hmm. idea where the heck it's coming from. Yeah, that just happened. Yeah. So. Sorry, my MP3 folks that were like, what in the world just happened? Yeah, that little quick audio cut. It happens to me all the time when I'm on my actual, like, Mac computer. Like, when I go into YouTube and I load it up, something will just, like, start playing. And I'm like, oh, loud noises. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, that's the worst, scramble. dude. Yeah, yeah, dude. It's like, like uh, it's it's like similar to, like, when you're jamming on the way home <laughs> and you have the sound up, like, on your truck. And then you go, you forget. You turn the truck off and you get back in your truck, and then it just you burst your eardrums as soon as you get back in your yeah. Yeah, yeah that's thing. me every morning because to get home from guiding when it's like 28 degrees outside, I need the windows half down, the radio blaring just to stay awake when some of these steelhead trips I guide on are like an hour and a half, two hours away from my house. And then at 4 30 in the morning when I start my truck again, I'm like, oh I'm gonna all my neighbors have to hate me at this point. <laughs> like just have to. <laughs> it's okay. I live uh in an apartment still, <laughs> and the the people above us, this dude's got like one of those little rice burner Subarus that has like a like a, a custom fart can. Yeah, it's just loud as hell, and it like it just like I don't know. It, it's just one of those deals where it just annoys the living crap out of me. It's more of a petty annoyance because like I'll just be watching a TV show, and for the thirty seconds it's going, I'm annoyed. But again, it, it is what it is. But um, really fast, so super cool show today. We're having Mister Fletcher Shryock on to talk about trying to fish some shallower, grassier fisheries uh, when the temps start getting cold that late fall, early winter. We're in the south those those grasses that grass is still there not as much but it's still there and uh obviously it takes some strategy and uh some know-how to fish that stuff and find because in the fall these temps get colder for us northerners we're used to going to find deeper rock trying to figure out where you know when you find them you find all of them that type of deal uh it's not the case that way in the south at least for a bunch of fisheries so we're going to tap into that with fletcher uh but before we do I want to mention to you guys, we have a link down in the show notes. Uh, There is a Daiwa reel giveaway going on over at Omnia Fishing. You guys can go take advantage of it. Uh, It's free to enter. Just enter and basically you have a chance to win some brand new Daiwa reels, which it's a no-brainer. So I highly encourage you guys to do so. And then uh, Andy, tell the folks what's new coming up this week on Lure Lab before we get into today's episode. Uh, So... This weekend, I'm actually going to have like a three bait buyer's guide that I'm going to put out of three baits that I want to purchase over winter that I like a lot. And I think they're going to be huge players in 2023, but we have a lot of really cool shows coming down the line. It's just working on scheduling them in. Nice. So that'll, that'll be a fun little episode. I'm more surprised that you limited yourself to three. Yeah, it was hard trying to keep it under 20 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> so that's why it's three because it's otherwise yeah. you probably went on for hours if people saw your actual shopping list of baits that you're gonna yeah. be buying so i took three baits in three colors and talked about where and why i would use them and when oh okay yeah so it's nice. pretty good yeah. yeah we'll look forward to that guys that's coming saturday uh if you haven't checked out the lure lab show that we have in the serious angler network 
highly encourage you to. Um, and last notes before we, uh, last note before we get uh, Fletcher on here is uh, I mentioned the December 30th show was going to be live uh, for our little Christmas duo we, we have going on with Alex Rudd. Uh, that has now moved to the Thursday. So just one day prior, December 29th, uh, we're going to have our, you know, guys, we do our not so serious shows every now and then. Uh, that's going to be our New Year's slash Christmas special. Uh, Christmas special. Already can't talk today, Andy. It's not. It's not. A oh boy. Um, yeah, I mean, my voice is like shot because I went to the Bills game on Sunday. Yeah, it sounds so, like you smoked two packs before you do this. Oh, <laughs> I feel like it too. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm whooped. I took a nice like hour and a half nap on the couch. Say, I had no idea. If I fell asleep until my wife called and woke me up, and I was like, "What?" <laughs> nice. Oops. Yeah, it was good times dead life but uh yeah so december 29th that thursday night we'll be going live It'll be a lot of fun trying to get some stuff to give away before we ring in the new year but uh without further ado our guest for today mr fletcher shryock how's it going fletcher you got us uh-oh fletcher <laughs> it's not just me andy right <laughs> yeah i i I don't know if he can hear us or not. Fletcher, you got us over there? Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. You got us now? Oh, boy. All right. Well, I will improvise, and I will shoot him a text. Because <laughs> it's, like, it's like going through, a, it's like talking to a wall. It's funny. <laughs> I, we have I not just, encountered this you, issue before. You know, you know what? I'm just going to start doing that to you when you talk to me when we're in person. Just, just no, no, nobody there. <laughs> oh my gosh we were doing we were perfect offline here before we started this show yeah do we got you now oh gosh oh he said he's got zero audio oh no all right we'll, we'll, we'll take you off the screen for now i'll uh i'll see if i can uh, help you in the background try to get back but uh andy really fast for the folks we're gonna we usually do this at the end but uh, for folks that are looking to get into some big, small mouth in the springtime coming up for next year, what, uh, where should they be looking uh, and what dates do you have available? Well, I mean, you can shoot me a text or on my Instagram, you can find me or go to my website, which is just fullfishingguide.com. Um, dates available, I have about 15 days available in May. A lot of them are weekdays with Memorial Day still wide open. June is probably my favorite month and I'm down to about 10 days at the back end of it. So basically from like the 18th on is open. And then I think I have like the second, fourth and fifth open at the start of the month. So we're, we're filling up pretty fast here in the spring and actually like I'm working on it now, but I think I'm going to be at the Cincinnati and Columbus fishing expos in January and February with a booth with Jeff, Jeff Hippert. So that's going to be fun. Nice. Heck yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, so guys, look out for that. Some more trips. So fill them up while you can before they're gone. <laughs> yep. The uh, the link to all Andy's stuff is below. But let's let's try this again. I think we, we might have fixed it now. Yeah. You got us now, Fletcher? All right. I can hear you guys. All right. We're good. <laughs> oh, awesome. <laughs> welcome. Welcome. I haven't heard a single word you guys said. I'm just sitting here waiting. I'm like, well, I'm guessing the audio is going to kick in when I go live. And I like looked up and it says, you're in the show. 
Like I couldn't hear a word you guys were saying. So <laughs> we've Yikes. never had that happen before, but that was like, honestly that was pretty funny because we did like we entered you into the show and we're like we're just sitting there like, like you're just like looking at us. And we're like, like is he? Does he not hear? So, like what is going on? Because <laughs> <laughs> you went live, I, it got cut off. I'm like, well, it'll it'll kick on whenever I you know when you join in. But no, I had no audio, so. Oh man, that, that's that's funny because like I was telling you offline, I was like, "Look, when you're down here in the queue, you can still hear us." And this, you're probably like, "Damn, yeah. this guy's a liar! I can't hear crap." Probably <laughs> like, the opposite of what this is really supposed to be, but we're good. Now. Yeah, we're just, oh, just talking to a wall, like it just happens. I'm like, they evidently yeah. don't want me to hear what they're talking about, or I don't know what they're talking about. Right? But... Yeah, <laughs> we're just sitting here talking crap about you. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's good. Well, well, dude, uh, it's good to uh, to get you on here. Uh, we met actually down at Red Crest. It was good to have a couple of beers with you. And we talked about this at Red Crest, getting you on the show. Uh, so I apologize that it's now December and we're, we're finally getting you on here. But uh, we, we made it happen. Uh, it's good to get you on here. And uh, what we do with everyone that's new to the show is tell a little bit about how you got into fishing in the first place. Like bass fishing, how you got into it, that whole thing. Yeah, so I started out... My mom was a school teacher. My dad ran a body shop, lived in a super small town. We lived in a trailer. And at the end of the drive, it was an old strip pit pond. And my dad, you know, and mom at times would take this, you know, just take me down there. I don't even remember catching one. I just remember always being down there, like, just love fishing, not even catching, you know. And uh, it just kind of went from there. Like, I, I just, I was obsessed with bass fishing at such a young age. And I think it was mostly because of, you know, Jimmy Houston and Roland Martin and the Bassmasters that was on TV. I mean, we're probably talk, we're talking 94, 5, 6. You know, I was really young, but I was really intrigued by all of that. And would just, shoot, I watched more of the stuff on TV than I even fished, you know, at that time. Because I didn't have a lot of opportunities to fish. Number one, being from Ohio, like, you know, four or five months out of the year, as you guys know, you can't fish. So there was a lot of time just spent studying and, you know, watching shows and all that stuff. So... It definitely built up the excitement for the time about, you know, around April come around that I could finally go down to the little creek or go to a pond or whatever. We definitely, uh, yeah, didn't have a lot of good options as far as fishing goes for sure growing up. But uh, I still loved it, you know, just the same as if I did. Right. And and you didn't exactly, you and Hunter didn't grow up like in the state that's really like <laughs> plentiful in terms of bass fishing. No, I guess, yeah, I guess that's the point I'm trying to make is we come from a place that was as least plentiful as you could ask you know completely get and to kind of see where we ended up is kind of wild i think it just goes to show you that if you really really want to do something bad enough you'll find a way to scratch claw you know to get yourself in a position and that's i think what both of you know obviously we haven't had great careers but definitely want to have a lot more good things happen but it is kind of cool to see you know if you want something bad enough you can go get it so yeah honestly i think uh we talked about this a little bit with your brother when he was on the show but i think it helped you guys in terms of the smallmouth stuff because having Erie right there, I still remember, I think it was probably six years ago or so when I was growing up, I, I was like on the beginning of my YouTube binge and watching you and Hunter go up to and smash on smallmouth and Lake Erie. And that kind of really helped drive my smallmouth, like just addiction. Uh, but I feel like having that big water there, I mean, helped a little bit in terms of that, but. Uh, obviously you you both are very similar in terms of at least from our eyes like shallow water flippers power fishing that sort of deal which probably is speaks ohio 
Yeah, I mean, we just had to scrape, you know, scrape and claw to get a bite in Ohio. So that was kind of where the flipping and pitching, because pretty much you could flip and pitch, you know, year round and pretty do pretty consistent. I mean, if you went outside of that too much, you're really going out on a limb if you picked up a big crankbait or something like that. So just learning basically how to finesse flip up there in Ohio was probably the one thing. If you wanted to do good, you know, to do good in tournaments up there, that was the one thing that I felt like you had to be good at. So, yeah. We were kind of forced into becoming flippers, you know? Right. <laughs> but, uh, no, we had Erie. You know, Erie was two hours from the house, and we spent so many nights, or I spent so many nights up there sleeping in the parking lot, um, you know, awesome. in the morning or whatever. Like I said, it was about two, two and a half hours to the good stuff uh, from my house, so there was no sense in driving back and forth or whatever. I'd go up there, fish all day, sleep in the back of my truck, and then turn around and get back out there in the morning, you know? Um, spent a lot of time up there doing that. And, uh, you know, it's funny, I, I'd only fished tournaments for two years before I started fishing the Bassmaster Opens. And um, I'd won a Southern event, already made the Classic that year. And it was like, well, I can fish the Northern Division and possibly make the Elite Series. And I had never really fished for smallmouth on Erie until that point. So I had to learn, like, you know, went wide open for like two weeks, crash course, smallmouth bass fish on Lake Erie. Never, I would, we'd always go up there and largemouth fish, but never went after smallmouth. So a couple of weeks prior to that open that I jumped into, you know, that's whenever I started learning how to smallmouth fish up there. So it's hey, kind of crazy, okay. you know, think back on how much has evolved and changed over the last 10 or 12 years. It's pretty wild. So, yeah. And it's crazy too, to talk about, I mean, Erie, obviously, you know, we're both from, buffalo and like if you're from buffalo i mean andy can attest i mean unless you like know the goods like it's really hard to get into largemouth fishing on erie uh, on the eastern basin anyway whereas like where you guys are at like you can launch and probably start fishing basically oh it's yeah yeah there's so many largemouth on the western side it's insane for sure it's pretty wild Spoiled by that you know that was the one gym that we had in ohio that was the only gym because you went anywhere other than erie and you were struggling to get a bite pull it up there real fast for sure um so really fast kind of hit on how you got into tournament fishing then so obviously like i said i was eight nine ten i had my own fishing show when i was 10 my brother did a video on that on his on one of his youtube uh I remember that um but just watching obviously you know the bass masters mostly at that age and then we started into motocross racing when i was around 11 or 12 started motocross racing and ended up fishing or fishing, racing some pro motocross, supercross stuff, uh, AMA Nationals, AMA Supercross. And it was funny because we was at Bud's Creek, Maryland. I think it was 2007, and there must have been a big tournament on the on the Potomac. And um, I looked at my mechanic that day, that morning. There was bass boats going everywhere in the parking lot, whatever it was. And um, I looked at my mechanic. I'm like, dude, I'm going to be when I'm done racing. I'm going to I'm going to go start tournament fishing. I'm going to become a pro fisherman. Like, that's what I want to do. And he just looked at me like, you are an idiot. Like, what are you? T-? And it's funny. I just ran into him like a couple of weeks ago whenever I was up in Ohio. We got together for some family stuff and invited him. And uh, we were talking about that. He's like, I just remember you looking at me just so serious that you're going to be this fisherman. He's like, Fletcher, do you realize you've got to qualify in two hours? Like, we've got to go racing. We can't be sitting here talking about you going bass fishing, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we are. So it is kind of nuts, you know. But, yeah, that's – uh. So I, I just kind of jumped into it, though. I, I spent about two years fishing local stuff. And um, hold on just a second, guys. 
Sounds like an AC or something going nuts. Walked in the house and like I'm in the shop right now, but I just literally turned the phone on. My heater's making some crazy noises, so I just turned it off. But <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so I think just you know watching that stuff, you know, at a young age and really you know piqued my interest. But I didn't spend a whole lot of time fishing local stuff. Like I went two years fishing local derbies, and I was like Bassmaster Opens. Like why not? I think a lot of it was because I learned a lot from racing motocross those number of years and i feel like in a lot of sports like once you reach a certain level in one sport like you know what it takes to make it into the next one you know and i knew from racing like just because you were really good at racing on your local tracks didn't mean anything like until you could go out there on the big tracks against the big you know the big dogs and do it and the only way to learn how to do that is to do it you can read all the books you want. You can watch all the film you want until you're out there riding your bike on that gnarly track and you're on them big hills, up the hills, down the hills, the big whatever. Like until you're in it and doing it, you're never going to learn. And that's how I approached my fishing. Like I said, I fished the club tournament stuff for two years. And it was like, hey, if you want to do this, and it wasn't like I was like, oh, I want to be a pro today. Or it wasn't like I set out to be. I see a lot of young anglers now, like they're just dead set. They want to be a pro fisherman. I wanted to compete fishing. I wanted to have fun with it, um, but I never really said, oh, I'm going to go. I know I'd said that to my mechanic, but I never really set out to say, like, this is what I want to do. It was more like just feeding that competitive itch that I have, you know, just like I had in racing. I wanted to be competitive. I wanted to take it as far as I could take it. Now, whether that meant I was a pro at the end of the day and making a living wasn't really necessarily a goal, but I definitely approached it the same way I felt like I needed to with racing, you just jump in like there's you're either going to sink or you're going to swim. And the only way to really learn is to get out there and do it. So and Hunter's approach was the same way. Hunter never really fished um, local events at all. Like there's a lot of like, you know, uh, friends of mine that fish locally still in Ohio and they don't even know Hunter because he fished so little. Like I kind of gave him, you know, the blue or told him what I felt like he needed to do if he wanted to have a career in fishing. So it was literally within six months i want to say of him fishing he was fishing the bassmaster open on the james river getting stuck on sandbars because he didn't know what was going on with the tide but you know what he learned from all that stuff right so i'm not trying to tell people just to go out there and jump into a bassmaster open or toyota series and you know but that's that's kind of what we did and it, and it worked out it's not going to work out for everyone and um there's a definitely a steep learning curve if you choose to go that path so be prepared but i do think it's the best way to learn at the same time yeah, and it, I think it definitely takes a very specific attitude and mindset to do that, where I think you and Hunter are kind of go-getters, and like, if we don't do this, well, there isn't a plan B, so we might as well get this done, right? I mean, that kind of seems like the mantra. Yeah, that's exactly how the racing was, and to be <laughs> honest, like, after doing, after seeing what I saw in racing, like, I had some buddies that were extremely successful. Shoot, I still have some really good friends now that are at the top of the sport, Um I think the one thing that kind of left me bitter from that and the reason, the biggest reason why I didn't say, oh, I want to go make a career out of this was because with racing, like we got to, you know, I, I raced against James Stewart, Ricky Carmichael, or, you know, we was on the same track at the same time. Right. Um, but I also realized how hard it was to make a living doing that and how very, how few of guys actually made a living. Like there was several guys that you would have thought from the outside looking in, if you were sitting up in the stadium you know, 70,000 70, people at a race, you look down at a guy and be like, oh, I bet that guy, you know, lives in a 
10,000 square foot mansion on, you know, on some lake or whatever. And the fact of the matter was the dude was struggling to pay his cell phone bill, but he's out there racing, you know, now there was some guys that are obviously making millions, but most of the guys were struggling is the point that I'm trying to get at. So when I got into the fishing, I wasn't just dead set that I was going to just become this pro fisherman because I just done that in motocross and failed as along with so many others, obviously. And I, and fishing's a lot like that too. There's a lot of guys that try and try and try that don't ever make it, that didn't get the right break at the right time. You know, great fishermen that could have went on to do amazing things. I, I guess the first one that pops into my mind is Iconelli, right? He was done um, fishing. That was, the, I think the classic was his last event. I'm sure you guys know the exact story, but basically he was done fishing. Uh, he's going back to college, whatever it was, he's going to fish the Bassmaster Classic, and he was out, done. He had had a bad divorce. Had Mike not won that Classic in 2003 on the Louisiana Delta, he probably wouldn't be fishing now, right? I think there's a lot of stories like that out there, um, kind of back to the racing thing, and, you know, whenever I wanted to fish professionally, I'd never, I just knew it was going to be a slippery slope to really make it, and um, thankful that I did probably pushed it a little harder at times than what I should have as things progressed down the line, but you know, it's, it's worked out well, but it doesn't work out that way for everybody. So, and I don't mean to sit here and be negative Nancy and tell someone don't pursue it. I'm just right. be smart about it. Know that it's not going to be easy. And uh, just kind of telling my story about it is all. So. Yeah, no, I respect the heck out of it. Uh, and especially, I think there's been a few people that have been giving that raw and transparent point of view to that deal uh, more lately. And I think that's better for the sport because there's definitely people that come into it thinking it's all sunshine and rainbows uh, and they get to that level and they, they think, Oh, I'm just going to have money. I'll be set now that I'm here when that's not the case anymore, especially with, you know, generations uh, changing and social media is becoming more and more of a as priorities change for sponsors. Like people have to be liquid with that, which is, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir right now. You full, you fully know exactly what I'm talking about in terms of you have to be more business savvy uh, often than not in this industry now than even to be able to catch fish, which is sad in some truth, but uh, it's unfortunate times that are, are changing, but uh, to change topics, because we're here to talk fishing because uh, that, that's a rabbit hole. I could go down for hours. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll save that for some beers. Hours about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, the topic of today's show that we want to get into was, so like we, we mentioned earlier, Andy and I are like from the North. We live on the Great Lakes. Our, our late fall winter is completely different than from a Tennessee or an Alabama, like Louisiana, that type of deal. Uh, and a fishery that I think you excel well at, which is shallow water fisheries uh, that have grass, uh, laydowns, a lot of shallow cover. Uh, but really kind of talking about grass as well, like, when temps start getting cold and fish are getting out of that summer to fall transition, getting heavy into fall and getting later into the winter, uh, what are some of like the first moves you're making when you notice that that summer to fall transition coming to end and really starting getting the thick of that that colder temps? Yeah, that's a that's a load. Of, it all depends on the fishery, right? I mean, I'm, I'm I just moved from Gunnersville up to uh, Chattanooga, so I'm you know an hour, hour and a half from Gunnersville if I want to be there. But I'm also, I live right on Chickamauga, which is drastically different than what Gunnersville is. I just got back from Cherokee and Douglas, which is, you know, the polar opposite of it. I mean, it just depends on what lake we're talking, you know? So I guess 
since you wanted to talk about mats and grass fishing, I lived in Gunnersville for four, four or five years. I spent there now. Um, so more towards the fall when things start to cool off on Gunnersville, everyone knows the mat bite, whether it be a frog or punching has been just a huge deal. Um, and there's so much grass, so much cover. I, I, I think Gunnersville has so much what I call smoke and mirrors. Um, there's so many different types of grass on that lake when you get into the fall because everything is, you know, everything's to the top. If it's going to get to the top by the fall, it's to the top, right? Um, usually we don't have a lot of rain, so the water levels are somewhat usually down. They keep Gunnersville really stable, but I would say it's typically down in the fall and things are really matted up. And uh, I guess the first thing that comes to mind um, late fall on Gunnersville is there's so, and I, I'm just trying to speak to the general person that's trying to learn how to punch. There is so much grass on, well, on Gunnersville. There's so much grass, but the fish only like to use certain types in certain situations. I want to say that 90% of the grass there is not good. Um, there's, like I said, there's so many different types, whether it be eelgrass, stargrass, uh, there's a lot of coontail and a lot of times in places that's not good. Um, but what's crazy about that though, for you guys being up North is there's certain grasses on Gunnersville that they use and they only like to prefer that grass. And most of the time that's milfoil and that's hydrilla, but you can take some of the star grass that I've never caught a bass punching out of on Gunnersville. You can take and put that stuff in New York and I've caught sacks of bass and bunches of them. On, uh, I think you guys know on and dog up there in New York. Yep. That stringy grass that I cannot catch a bass out of at Gunnersville or these, uh, you know, uh, Nicka Jackson, another one has a lot of grass. Cannot get a bite in it down here, but you go up north and the fish use it like it's the greatest thing ever, right? <laughs> so it's so different. I guess you start talking different lakes. Um, I'll tell you another thing on Gunnersville that they don't really like to get in. Um, that they love up north or even different bodies of water. I can go to Florida and catch them out of it. You guys know the chopped up eelgrass you get from the boats running around when it packs up against boat docks or reeds or pads. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Fishing that type of stuff. Um, but you go up, up to New York, that's all you're looking for, right? You're looking <laughs> for anything they can get their head under and you take a Gunnersville or, or a Nickajack or certain places and they don't even prefer that at all. They would rather be in you know, no foil or hydrilla 95% of the time. And if it isn't those two things, you're wasting your time mostly. So it's a, uh, it's, it's a lot to cover in a short amount of time. So I guess I'll just kind of bounce off of whatever you guys want to talk about. But uh, no, when it gets towards the end of the end of the fall, that's definitely the light, in my opinion, because what usually happens um, is once things starts cooling off, you got to realize, look at a mat as a blanket across the surface of the water. Um, if the water say is 55 degrees and you get a cold front come in or just a cold night, and it's 40, 45 degrees. Well, the, the water all around those mats, all the water, all the heat's ex escaping, right? But where that mat is, it's like a blanket on top. It's holding that 50, you know, 55 degree water, whatever that temp is, it's holding that heat in, in the water column. So then fish, a lot of times will get up real high in the water and stay under those mats because that's what's keeping the heat in. Um, I actually took a heat gun. This was probably in February. I took a heat gun to Lake Seminole and was just kind of curious. And, and I, I kept one on my boat for a while. But the hyacinth was actually, I believe at the time, and this is a cold day. It was probably, well, I say cold, 50 degrees. Cold for North Florida, right? Um, the hyacinth was roughly 10 degrees warmer than the water temp. 
So if a bass is cruising around and say, you know, 55 degree water, and here's this warm blanket that happens to be 65 because the sun's beating down on that mat, they're going to ease up under that deal because you know that water's a few degrees warmer up under that mat than it is outside of it. So actually taking a temp gun around was, was kind of crazy. And I, it, there's other times too where mats can get too hot in the summertime. And there's only certain mats that fish will use in the summer. I hate to even tell, you, tell everyone this stuff, but uh, there's certain mats, if it gets too hot, you'll notice in the middle of the day, sometimes in the morning they'll get in that type of mat, the stuff that gets really hot. Um, but as the day, you know, as the sun gets higher and those, you know, certain mats get almost just too warm for them fish to be in. Um, I've noticed that whenever I've caught fish out of the stuff, I've noticed how hot sometimes the, I mean, it, you know, whenever the sun's beating down on something at noon, one o'clock in the summertime in Florida, you can feel the heat off that grass when you catch a fish out of that. Hmm, that's probably a good reason why they're not in that stuff real good at one o'clock versus, you know, they're in it good in the morning and then they get out of it as the day progresses because it heats up too much. So there's all kinds of, you know, different directions you can go with it, but it's something that I've done a lot. So I feel like I somewhat understand it maybe more than most. And sometimes I think that's a detriment, but that's just how I like to fish. <laughs> Got it. So I have a question in the winter time when you're punching mats, do you prefer a heavy weight still to get through it? Or do you try to go with like the lightest weight possible since those fish are using the top of the canopy to kind of slow it down and just to barely get it through? I think the weight for me, no, I'm not trying to control the fall at all with the weight itself, because anytime I'm punching, I'm in direct contact. I'm always, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm allowing that bait to fall fast or slow as I, because I'm in control. The biggest thing that I want to, I want to, I want to bait, that can get through or a weight that's big enough to get through the mat without disturbing it. But I want to get through every single time. I don't want to be finessing trying to get, cause sometimes a lot of, well, a lot of times whenever you're flipping mats, if it barely goes through and this can be with a two ounce weight, there's times where it just barely slips through and it's got, and it slowly kind of goes through and then it eventually falls. Very rarely do I get a bite like that. Most of the time when I get my bites is when it slips through and doesn't disturb the mat. Like, so if, if I'm using a two ounce weight and it doesn't move the mat, I'm good with that. Does that make sense? I don't want it disturbing, you know, if the fish is high in the water column under that mat, I don't want it moving the mat when it goes through. So whatever that weight is that I need to get through without disturbing the mat. But it's, what I was getting at is I want that bait to fall pretty quick. I don't want to give them time to think about it or have it just kind of finesse its way down. I mean, I've got bit like that, but typically – it's a pretty constant drop. And a lot of times it's a controlled drop that I can, you know, put on. Because like I said, I'm always keeping the line tight. That I'll, I'll ease it down how I want or at the speed that I want. I don't think I vary that too much, whether it be summer, winter. You know, I, I usually keep it at a pretty good steady clip. Now, the part that, you know, depending on the temperature and the mood of the fish, I will, whether I yo-yo the bait or how long I hold the bait in the mat, that's more dictated on, you know, by temps and the attitude of the fish more so than the weight. The weight, you just have to you know, use a big enough weight to get it through without disturbing the mat. And then everything else after that is up to me to figure out what the fish want, if that makes sense. I, I am just drooling at the nuggets that we're getting out of you right now. <laughs> because I have so many more questions. I appreciate that. To me, it's like I just do it so much. I don't know what people know or don't know. So if you want to slow down, that, that doesn't make me an expert, right? But I've done it a lot. So there's just certain things I might try to skip past if you, there's anything you want to 
specifically talk about, let me know. But uh, yeah, uh, so I'm keeping I'm keeping notes in here because uh, I have a simple brain, so I'll forget a question. So that's why I'm if I'm looking down with the pen, that that's why. So I, I'm good. not texting it, perhaps. Um, but one of the things I remember, and I can't remember which event it was. I can't remember if it was an event or if it was like a Bass U video. Uh, but it was with you and you're talking about punching in the morning where not a lot of people attribute punching in the early hours. Whereas people think about, Oh, I'll pick the stick up at, you know, 10 AM once the sun's up type of deal. Uh, I'm, I'm one of those people. Uh, but I watched your video and I've since like started punching in the morning. And you mentioned that about that late summer where those fish are in the mats earlier. Cause the temps will be cooler. Is, is that why that went? Is it, do you relate? Wait, do you punch earlier? the later in the summer and put those sticks away as a temp or the, as the sun gets higher. Like, how does that work? Definitely. You can, there's times where if you get in that stuff that gets too hot, you know, there's times you have to get out of it and go to a different type of matted cover, I guess would be the answer to that. I just feel like in the morning, a big bass is still going to seek out deep water or really thick cover. And I don't think you're going to get the numbers. I, I think this was on the wired to fish video, I believe is the one you're talking about. Okay. Wired. That makes sense. You're not going to get like a bunch of bites typically in the morning, but what I have noticed is I can catch a big one or a few big ones in the morning because then fish are still relating to that heavy cover. They still want to eat. And I feel like sometimes they react better to that weight dropping through real quick in the morning because the sun's just coming up. It's still dark under that mat, but you know what it's like to us in the morning, you know, when the sun's first coming up, it's, you know, you can see a lot better. It's different than when the sun's going down because our eyes are adjusting from light to darkness. Well, obviously in the morning, the fish are adjusting from dark to light. So they can see better than I think you, than we think they can whenever the sun's coming up, right? But you're just taking a bass that's already aggressive, that's already, you know, you're catching that big five or six, seven pounder in the morning when she's pretty active anyway, that's still under that mat because the temperature, she's been under that blanket all night because the temperature is consistent and you're able to get a couple quality bites. And then another thing too, a lot of guys don't do it at that time of day. So like, like as you know, like you had said, you never really thought about doing it that way. You right. can use a couple solid fish in before, you know, you, you get into that morning lull all the time, whether it be nine 30, 10 o'clock, 10 30, there's always a lull in that part of the day where it's hard to get a bite. And I've really noticed that on major league fishing because obviously this live score tracker um, but definitely first thing in the morning is a good time to, uh, to get a couple quality bites. I can already see it now. Bailey's putting the top water right away and he's going straight punching from 6am to 10am every tournament. He'll get one bite and lose and just blame the whole day on me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to shoot you. Me anyway. <laughs> well, that was good, but yeah, I'm going to text you right off the bat. I'm like, well, bro, your theory didn't work. <laughs> It's not worked for me a time or two as well, but hey, if I I ten out of ten, I'd rather catch him punching than on top. It might sound crazy, but that punch by is is addicting. I call um, it stuck on stupid all the time. You call him what? Stuck on stupid. Stuck on stupid. Just take a big weight and just go all day. Don't stop. You know, you just there's nothing more to it. You don't even think about picking up a top water or a chatterbait. You know, you just stay on it and. That's where a lot of it comes from, too. I think a lot of people, they don't do it enough. They don't just commit to it. And, like, legitimately what I said is kind of – it's funny, but it's kind of true. Like, if you're going to fish that way, you're going to have to spend days with that thing in your hand. 
on different bodies of water because I can go to a place like Seminole that's different than Gunnersville. Like I'm not just going to, I can't look at a mat and just be like, oh, right there. Like there's times that I can. Obviously we all know points, ditches, all that stuff, right? But like, man, a lot of it just comes down to you just got to put your head down and go. Like there's no easy answer to it, you know? Like you're going to have to stay stuck on stupid and just go until you figure out what, you know, what they want to do. And it doesn't always make perfect sense you know to me at times like you just don't know where why there's a school of them down this crappy looking stretch of whatever but there'll be a group of bass somewhere that they're just there you know but you're not going to find them unless you fish for them and that's the one thing that i do like about it i i love that saying of stuck on stupid uh and you so you were talking earlier though like how there's like this random stuff on gunnersville that never or that never works down there, but works all the time up north. And that's what we call our fish. They're, they're stupid. Uh, so you can attribute our northern fish. They're just dumb. So they look, they're like, oh, green grass. We'll go sit in it. It doesn't matter what type it is. It seems like they're always there. Especially those Onondaga that- fish, man. They're like radioactive. They got something wrong with their brain. <laughs> they just want to, they've only got, what, six months to eat. They're just going to eat whatever. Now, I don't want to say that northern bass are stupid or easy, but I'm just saying, like, there's just certain things that certain bodies of water, like, that work really well and you take it to another place a hundred miles away and they want nothing to do with that. It's, it's the most bizarre thing, but it's just something I've witnessed. So it's really hard to sit here and tell you, you know, do it like this and do it like that because it's different. All the, It's different all the time. So, right. So what you were talking with um, about certain windows uh, later in the year or summer when it comes to punching, how does that relate or how does that uh, compare to, you know, this time of year with that remaining grass, say on a Gunnersville or just kind of like a more, a, a grass prominent fishery. Uh, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, we, we talked about grass fishing a bunch on the show in terms of like trying to find obviously that remaining healthier grass, but in terms of cadence and windows, how does that relate this time of year when the temps are much colder? Well, there's one thing I do want to touch on that I started into a little bit. Um, and that was back to the whole MLF score tracker thing. We're able to kind of see what everyone's catching or not catching. Um, I've always felt this way about uh, grass fishing, especially fishing in Florida. Obviously, it's always pretty much in grass. But there's always a bite window in the morning. Every MLF event we fish from the cups all the way through the BPT, there's always a bite window in the morning. You know, call it sunrise to 9, 10, whatever. Then it shuts off. And then it resumes usually around, I don't, you know, it's usually about an hour and a half to two hour delay, like nothing is going on or it's very minimal. Well, you take grass fishing, I feel like when they stop biting and when you hit that law in the grass, you catch nothing. Like say if I'm catching them cranking, square billing, whatever, at, you know, some, you know, Chickamauga right now. And I hit that law, I'll still catch a few bass through that law, you know, call it 10, 30, 11 o'clock. And then around noon or one, I'll hit some stretches where they go to biting again. I feel like in the grass, when they're biting, they are really biting at times if you're around them. But when it goes dead, forget about it. And it's even worse in Florida. Um, I've seen a couple events we've had down there. I remember the, I'm trying to go back to 2019 because we're going back to Toho here soon. But I was watching some of that the other day and they were like, no one's catching anything. Like it was a great first period, whatever, whatever the window, when it shut down, they were done. Like you ain't going to get a bite. You can throw on a school of them. You can drop a big weight on a school of them. They're not going to bite. 
But then there'll be that certain window when it picks back up again. You better be on the stuff because they're going to all go to back to biting at once. And that's more so in grass than anything. When they're not biting, they're not. But when they are, you better be, you know, get on it. So, so that goes back to your stance on like sticking to it, right? You know, sticking with it throughout the, the dead periods. Yeah, because you never know when that window is going to open up. Like you just don't know. And sometimes it don't open. But most of the time, if you put if you just stay stuck on it, you're going to figure out a way by the end of the day to make it, you know, it's going to happen. This is probably the part of fishing that I hate the absolute most because I'm the most impatient person possible. Like more than like seeing them and they won't eat the fact of, like when you have those dead windows where they might be there and they're not eating, that eats me up more. Like I can at least oh. like, if I know they're there, that's one thing. Oh dude, that drives me nuts. Like when people talk about windows and rely on it, it, I, that's like my biggest weakness from a mental standpoint is just trusting that that window is going to come. Yeah. 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 Well, it's, it's experiencing that though. And having it happen again and again and again and again, makes you realize it, I, I mentioned Seminole. I went and fished the Toyota series there a couple years ago and I was catching them punch. I think they won the tournament on a jerk bait, which was interesting, but I went the, through that morning. I think I had one or two fish and I had a co-angler that day. And I think he had one. Okay. I kept rolling down this one stretch, and I think it was probably the fourth time my co-angler was like, dude, how many times are we going to hit this? And he's, he obviously knew who I was, and he was super cool. But he's, you could tell he was kind of getting annoyed. Like, we went down this stretch four times. I haven't caught one. I said, dude, and it was about, I want to say, 45 minutes to go, 30 minutes to go. I was still sitting on one fish. I told him, I was like, nah, I'm going to pull up on one of these stretches, and it's going to go down. Like, just be ready. And it literally, like, within 45 minutes to go, he just you could tell he just rolled his eyes. The day's over. Forget about it. We went down that stretch, I'm pretty sure, for the fifth time, and it was mayhem. It was crack, crack, crack. I'm in the live well. He's never punched before. He's back there reeling him in. And I'm like, pop, 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 pop. There was the one I actually pulled it out of the mat or did something. It comes out of the mat and lands by the boat, so it lands on the grass edge, but not in the mat. And my big weight just falls basically in open water, and I go to reel up. My line's just going sideways, three-pounder. So we hurried up, like fish were flying and we just ran back to weigh in. I don't know. It was a decent day. But like I looked him in his eyes like an hour to go when we both got two fish for the both of us. I'm like, dude, it's going to happen. And he's just like, this dude's crazy. So yeah, you got to have the, you know, you've had to experience that somewhere along the way in order to stick it out because anyone in their right mind would have left and did something else. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't, and I and I still there was some doubt at that point. I'm not gonna lie, there was some doubt at that point that I was coming in with one bass, like there was. Um, but I also knew how fast it could happen, and I was still leaning on the, the chances of that being better than not. So, and it did. So it's just kind of when that stuff happens to you. I guess the point of that whole story is when that happens to you a couple of times, you start to understand it, and you've only got to catch five instead of trying to catch twenty five in our old MLF format. You know. Um, when you only got to catch five, you can, you can do stuff like that. So, right. So I think like one of the big takeaways for people that are watching this now or later or are listening to this episode is this time of year, uh, finding the right grass. Cause I think, I feel like finding the right grass is a little bit easier 
this time of year because there's less of it, obviously, with the falling temps. But be, I think patience is more of a virtue this time of year than anything in terms of windows that if you can find that stuff, they're going to be in it. It's just a matter of sticking it out until they click. Is, is that correct? Yeah, for sure. And I think the biggest thing you start getting into this time of year, I think the later in the day is going to be your best. You know, there's always a bite in the morning. I feel like whenever it's cold, for whatever reason, I don't care if it's 18 degrees. I'm sure you guys can agree. First thing in the morning. We'll keep trying to call. Uh, but Popular man. <laughs> no, not at all. Just right now when I'm talking to you guys, that's all. Um, <laughs> so, hey, get off that crappy show. <laughs> There's always that window first thing in the morning, um, but then I feel like for the most part, the later in the day, pretty well, no matter what bite you're searching, whether it's flipping or, or punching or whatever, I feel like the later in the day, the better. So That makes sense. Um, we have a couple questions coming in through here, and guys, feel free to keep you know letting these questions fly. We'll throw them Fletcher's way. Um, we have uh, – I'm actually kind of curious about this one because I'm – majority of everybody I know, and this seems kind of like a – very simple question about flipping with braid or fluorocarbon, but I'm going to twist his question a little bit. And is there any time that you flip around this grass that we're kind of talking about with fluorocarbon instead? So the only time I'll use fluorocarbon, I'll use a fluorocarbon leader is if I'm flipping like submerged grass. And that's something that I do like to do a lot, but anytime that I'm like punching through any sort of a mat, I don't like it. And I've heard people say, um, especially at Gunnersville, once again, I just like using that as a reference because it's right. Um, that if you flip fluorocarbon, you're going to get way more bites. But dude, that fluorocarbon is loud. Like braid makes noise, and there's a lot of different braids out there. And I could go into so many different things right now. But to stay <laughs> on the topic, the fluorocarbon I've been told gets you more bites in the mats on heavily pressured matfish. But from my experience, that when you you know more than drop it in the mat and you got to pick up on it. You know the sound that it makes. It's like a like it's louder than the braid. It vibrates and is louder than the braid, in my opinion. Um, and then obviously you don't have straight braids, so it's really hard to get the fish out. I've played with it a fair amount, um, and in my opinion, it's it's a no go for me. But I've also have heard people say that it's it's been the deal for them. So hmm. it's something that I've experienced. So one thing I will say that I do. Um, I like to use a really smooth braid. Um, I use the vicious no fade braid anytime I'm punching. I try to stay away from this is no rip on Power Pro. Uh, vicious has a braid that's basically the same exact thing. It's their standard braid. Um, it's a four carrier braid, I believe. It's a lot rougher, and you can hear it. Any you you can hear that line going through the guides when a guy's using that four carrier braid. It's a great braid, but whenever you're flipping mats with that braid, it's extremely loud. Like you can just hear the and I don't know if it's so much the sound as it is the vibration to those fish. I want to smooth. I don't when I'm when I'm when I go to yo-yo that bait in the mat. I want something that's smooth. Um, and like I said, even with the fluorocarbon, the fluorocarbon like still catches and makes a vibration and a noise that uh, I feel like spooks them more than anything. It's not, I don't think it's a visibility thing with the line. I think it is you know an added sound or vibration with that line going through the mat. Cause I don't think they can see that well under there. There's no way they can distinguish braid from fluorocarbon. I think it's something to do with the sound and vibration that it makes above them on whether they're going to bite or not. So, yeah. I mean, when you actually look under those mats and all the crazy grass going each and every way, it's like, 
there's no way they see that braid and they're like, yep, that's line. Like I'm not going to eat that. (laughs) No, but I think they hear it though. Like, right. Yeah. And I believe that, that, you know, that, that four carrier braid, whichever brand, I just use that as as an example and power. I'm not trying to promote powerful. I'm just saying they make different ones. And the vicious that I use, the no fade vicious braid is hands down the best punching line that I've used. Um, I've been very impressed with that stuff. It's really quiet. It handles very well on the reel. And another thing that I like to do with my line that a lot of guys, well, most would disagree with me. If I know that it's going to be windy um, at all or whatever the case, I'll go down to 40-pound test braid. I'll go to 40-pound vicious no fade. Um, If I feel like I want to be a little bit more aggressive and maybe I'm not going to retie as much, I'll go to 50. But I don't ever go above 50. I never go to 65 um, because you don't get through the mats as easy. And the bigger the diameter of the line, the more vibration and sound you're going to get. And the same as when, remember I was talking earlier about the bait falling through the mat. I want that fall rate consistent because I'm in control of the fall rate, right? Like I don't want my weight to be in control, but if I've got heavier line, oftentimes the line will catch and it doesn't get that drop that I'm looking for. Um, the only difference between fishing 50 pound and 65 for the people that go out there and break fish off, don't get mad at me. You just can't be lazy. Like when I'm fishing fit, well, especially if I fish 40, if I know it's going to blow a lot that day or whatever the case, if I can get through mats a lot easier with 40 and I feel like 40 gives me that perfect fall rate, but you have to retie. Like if you don't retie every with 40 pound, honestly, every 20 to 30 minutes, uh, with 50 pound, you're retie once an hour i feel like with 65 like you can go several hours without retying and you're fine but you're losing so much along the way as far as presentation and being efficient hey i'll sit down and retie every 25 minutes if i'm being efficient every time i make a drop versus having this big old heavy line that's making vibrations and it's not going through the mat clean and the wind's grabbing it because it's this big around because i'm using 80 pound braid or whatever there's no reason to use that stuff unless you're being lazy, in my opinion. Um, there's not a bass big enough to straight pull break 40 or 50 pound braid if you've tied your knots correctly and you have, you know, retied every so often. So I know a lot of people would disagree with me, but that's just something that I know has been a big benefit to me to, to go into those lighter braids. Now, I would not go to 30. 30 is a bad deal, but 40 and 50 is really where it's at. And I know everyone's yeah. right but i'm just giving you my insight so no it actually makes a lot of sense to me because when we're talking about like vibration and line and fluorocarbon right like to punch a mat with fluorocarbon at minimum you should be using 20 that's a thick line in fluorocarbon still and you're running a 40 or 50 pound braid it's a diameter of 12 and 14 pound test so when you go to that realm of it you are going to get less vibration from it because it is so much thinner than that 80 65 pound braid or 20 pound fluoro so when you're in that dense jungle i mean 12 pound test braid is basically invisible as it is it's like it's so thin they'll eat it out in open water yeah i agree honestly so yeah yeah Yeah, Uh, and for 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 people that may not understand because i think a lot of people when they look at braid they're like I can throw this in the nastiest stuff, never retie ever again. Like we're good to go. Let it rip. Like explain to them uh, why you'd be retying every 20, 30 minutes, even with 40 pound, which to a lot of people seems super thick. I mean, for us, like it's, 
sometimes people when you like you mentioned people that might disagree with you that look at 40 as some there's definitely flippers that look at 40 and they're like yeah that's too light but for some people they're like holy crap that's heavy like why would you be retying that that often well the biggest thing that happens when you're punching is the weight um the weight's going to ding the line up what you know i always like to have inserts in my weights i have not found too many weights that didn't have inserts that didn't cut my line really quick so that's another thing to really pay attention to but yeah your weight's going to cut your line uh, just the weight bouncing around whether you have an insert or not it's going to cut into that line and 40 is just on that tipping point if it's it just cuts through a little bit quicker than a 50 or obviously a 65 you know 65 can take some abuse 80 can you can go all day with 80 but you know like i said the benefits if I've got to retire every 30 minutes, give me, give me the lighter stuff that I can be more efficient with. So, uh, like I said, a lot of it just comes down to the sound and disturbing the mass, everything else. And I'll tell you another one too. Um, even throwing a frog, some guys like 80 pound braid on my frog all day. Well, I can't cast 80 pound braid. So we'll just say 65. I can't cast 65 near as far as I can throw 40. Now 40 still getting sketchy, but if I'm fresh line, everything's right. Whatever the case I feel better with that. And another thing, I can make a frog walk a lot more finesse. Now, I'm not you're not always trying to do this though either. But if I'm really trying to like skip up under bushes or willows or whatever, I can walk a frog a lot easier on 40 than I can 65 because there's not as much drag in the water. You're gonna have to retie. You're gonna have to keep fresh, you know, more fresh line. Once again, it's becoming more of a maintenance issue than anything but you're also going to get performance benefits out of it that you're not going to get out of 65 or 80. I, you can't throw, you're not going to outcast a man with 65 if he's throwing 30 or 40. You know, you, he just got to make sure he doesn't break it. That's obviously the trade-off. So, Right. If I'm like bombing, you know, some of them mass, you guys know what it's like whenever the millful comes up and the frog bite gets good. The longer cast is the deal a lot of times, right? We've, we've <laughs> that over and over again. Well, if I want to make a long cast, the least amount of effort, I'm not throwing 65, right? Right. Yeah, so, that definitely makes sense. For I sure. don't want to knock. I, I'm just. It's just stuff that I've learned that helps me. And dude, like honestly, I break some. I break fish off from time to time. I'm a lot better now than what I was in the past. But I will break some off that had I had 65, I wouldn't have broke. But for the most part, I think nowadays I've just got so used to just in a routine of you know retiring. So. Yeah, no, it's it's really technical, and I, I really like that because there's a lot of uh, of flippers that are like slap on the heaviest stuff I can find, and they're not they're not very technical beyond their pitching. Uh, but I like that technicality of th- this the style of flipping power fishing um, in terms of being strategic with it, which I, I really like. Um, one of the questions I wanted to ask, um, actually, really fast. We have a question here from Tom Mix asking if you ever punch with a Tokyo rig. I have a little bit. Um, it kind of goes back to that deal that I was saying earlier just about being efficient. I was not as efficient with the Tokyo rig that I was with a standard punch rig. Gotcha. Now, I talked to some guys that really felt like it was the deal. They felt like they got more bites with it at times. I think the biggest benefit that I see with the Tokyo rig is your hookup is going to be better. Um so if you're if you're in a situation, look, catching bass punching is not easy some days. Like there's sometimes I swear they have little hands and they can grab your bait without getting the hook and somehow take your bait five out of five times. Like there's some days where that it gets a little tricky. And a lot of it comes down to that big that big tungsten weight being ahead of the hook, being ahead of the bait. 
and blowing their mouth open or it's really creating you know it's hard to hook a fish the bigger the weight you go like i mentioned two ounce earlier i hardly ever 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 use a two ounce um reason being that the weight just gets that to that point it's too big and you're blowing their mouth open so with the tokyo rig the weight obviously isn't in the way so you're going to be able to hook up with more fish the problem with I, the way that I see it, back to being stuck on stupid and just being repetitive and being, you know, efficient, I can't be as efficient with the Tokyo rig. But maybe that's something, too. Like, I'm constantly evolving. Maybe it's a, one of those deals where um, I do have a Tokyo rig rigged up whenever I do find a group of fish, whenever they do start biting funny, that I, you know, employ that deal then. That's just something I just thought of off the top of my head, even. But I just don't feel like I can be as efficient with it overall is the reason why I haven't got as far into it so yeah it makes sense i haven't really gotten behind the whole tokyo rig train just yet tried it a little bit for like spawning fish where you can have like the two weights that clack and keep the bait in place type of deal but beyond that like i haven't i have them i just, I just don't really throw them like it's so hard for me to pick that up like flipping grass and stuff over a jig or a texas rig but i think it's like one of those things you got to just force it experiment and like try to do something new. But uh, I can definitely see, I I'm pretty sure wired to fish too has a video that like literally just came out about punching with a Tokyo rig too. Uh, so interesting timing. Watch, on that. Cause I'm sitting here thinking to myself, maybe that's something I should employ, like start messing with a little bit more, you know, obviously not yeah. to cover water with like that's, that's right. out to cover water, but maybe like in it, once you really find a group of them, cause there's times where they bite funny, like they, it's not easy to get them hooked sometimes. I don't know why. And then usually it's whenever one or two of them go to bite and funny and you can't hook them, the whole dang lake's that way for a period. It may be just for a period of time, whether it be an hour or two hours, a front comes through, they'll start biting funny. And maybe that's something that I start using the Tokyo rig, you know, in those situations and trying it anyway. So, yeah. Um, so we're going to wrap up here in, in, a, in a second. I have a couple more questions and then we're going to end this thing with a fun question for you. Um, but my question is, so with BBT going now to five fish format, which actually I'm really curious with the midst of the score tracker and the five fish now, how that's going to shake things up. I'm really, really interested to see that. Um, how is your style? Cause being a power fisherman, obviously and talking to you here, you love to flip and this kind of might put some tide uh, towards you in terms of format so how are you gonna adjust going back to five fish well i so what's crazy is i around the start of the bpt like i just kind of got to a point call it my career whatever you want to say where i was just done making things more complicated i think the start of the bpt where i was finally like okay i'm just gonna fish the way i want to fish and it is what it is i just took on that attitude and like I wish I'd have done that for years, you know, at, at Bass even. There was so many times where I just would look back at tournaments where I was like, what were you thinking? If you just picked up a jig and went down the bank, like, that's a top 10 or a top 20. But no, you're out there throwing a Demiki rig over 80 feet of water because someone told you to do that at the boat ramp 31 days ago, right? Over on – yeah, I would just do stupid stuff. So um, to answer your question, like, I started out BPT, like, you know, fishing, I guess my style and looking back on it now, like it worked. I've had, I made a lot of cuts with the BPT with the all you can catch format, but I'm really now looking forward to going back to five and uh, slowing the game down a little bit. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And honestly, if I was to talk about the formats just real quick, 
I don't think there is a perfect format because there's times where the BPT format, the catch all you can catch was badass. Like if we had, and when I say that, I mean like a guy, a guy maybe catch eight or nine, not catch 49. I, I don't like those events. And I think that's what a lot of guys wanted to get away from. But there were certain events at the beginning of the year, you take like a Lake Fork, you know, I don't know, Jacob Wheeler catches 10 bass for 65 pounds. Like that's freaking cool. Like you don't see that. In, it's not that you're never going to see that in a five fish because he threw five of them back. But he had 10 that weighed. I'm just using this for an example, right? right. There are there, there is definitely a time and place for that format where I think you lose it with the five fish. But at the end of the day, I feel like our little fishing, I call it little, but you know what I mean. Our fishing community, that's just how we've always kept score. What's your best five? What they weigh? So I think that's the biggest reason why guys are going back. And as far as it pertains to me, I think it'll help some for me because whenever you're a shallow water guy i mean i can catch i've caught him off the bank quite a bit too but overall i need i want i want to have obviously a limit and i also want to have my weight carry on each day because the deal with zero in the weights for the knockout round and turn around and zero in the weights out for the championship round dude it's day six like I, I, and if you've beat up shallow fish for six days and you have any left to make a surge and try to beat Jacob Wheeler on the sixth day on shallow fish, you have found the mother load. I think we're obviously the, the five fish deal. And at least now we've got two elimination days. They zero the weights. Then from there it's knockout round and championship round is a cumulative weight. So if I catch a, you know, drop five big ones in the knockout round, I can squeak through, you know, with a decent bag in a championship round and possibly win the event. Whereas before, every time they zeroed them weights for a shallow water guy, you're just running out of fish the entire week. Everything just keeps going downhill. So if you know, the five fish thing, I think will help some for me possibly at times, but I think carrying the weight is obviously a big deal too. Cause those right. fish aren't there on day six, like they were on day one. So, right. Yeah. I think that definitely is going to, it's got to be really interesting to see if you're going to, we're going to see different names at the top or different names that were at the top. Do you think the leaderboards are going to shake up at all in terms of who's up there? Man, I, I don't see it changing a whole lot. I think the guys that are catching them are catching them and the guys that aren't catching them aren't, you know, there's several times where I would hear guys say like, Oh, I'm not, you know, I, I'd rather, you know, I can only fish for five. I can't do this format. Well, in two days, they might have weighed four fish. <laughs> like, dude, just go catch five. You know what I mean? Like, do the same thing you would do in the other format here. And, like, you, it was amazing in a lot of our events. It really wasn't a numbers game. If you go back and start looking at them, like, when I really started going back and trying to think, there was there was not a lot of high number, especially since, obviously, we went to the two-pound minimum. You know, it would take an average of, what, six? No. Yeah, probably seven scoreable fish a day to make the cut. I think that's cool. You know, what I kind of got tired of, and I know a lot of guys got tired of, is the events where it just got to be a runaway, and you've got to catch 23 bass that weigh an average of three pounds just to stay in the cut. Like, that's the part for me. Like, I, it, we kind of lost the fans, I think, and it wasn't as fun either, you know, personally. So, I'm excited to see it go back. Honestly, if we had it, in my opinion, I think there's a lot of guys that feel the same way. A lot of guys want to see, like, a 10-fish limit. Hmm. like a one pound minimum but 10 fish limit obviously catch weight release you got to catch 10 but once you get to 10 then you have to adjust i personally think that would showcase the guy that can go from catching the numbers to catching the big ones i think that would be really cool i think it you can get lucky and catch five good ones you know i don't think you can get lucky and catch 10 decent ones right right 
opinion on that. Do you like the 10 or 8, 10, 12 limit? Do you guys like that or no? I think it's really unique. Like, I, I, I agree that that would showcase more than the guy that – I think there's some big bags that are caught in the five fish that, like, you are talking about, like, with your, with your co-angler in the last 30 minutes, and you make hay. Uh, so that would certainly on days like that, where it's like that kind of grinder would make that 10 fish super interesting. Um, I, I mean, at, at this rate, so I'm biased in the sense that I just love watching live fishing because I like to watch guys way better than me, like yourself go to work. Uh, and as a fan, I, I'm, I, I'm bad about the conversations about these because I'm so biased. I love like bad events like that are hard for you guys because I learn more about how you adjust. So I'm, I'm like a bad reference for questions like this because I like to see it suck, which sucks for you guys. Uh, but Same, honestly, I'd, I'd much rather watch the grinders where you're struggling to get five bites. But I think a 10 fish format would be neat. And the fact like if you go to a place like Fork, right, you might get like an 80 pound 10 fish bag. And then but if you have seven fish, you could not be out of it because you could have seven six pounders and be just slightly behind so yeah. i don't know i no, i think i like this would be cool it would showcase like those special special days when guys are like up at say i don't know lake st Clair, and dude's throwing back yeah. four runners to get a four and a half or a five you know what i mean like yeah. count dudes other, other fours because that's like a phenomenal day that doesn't happen all the time and i think with the five fish which is what we've all you know done for many years you kind of lose those exceptional days but overall, obviously, if we had to pick, I think the five fish is better than the than the all you can catch. So, yeah, I, I do like the idea of finding a middle ground, though, like appeasing the beyond a five fish, but also keeping that concept. Um, and I, I'm still a personal fan of the fact that all the fish are going back to. I know people love bringing fish to the stage, uh, and like from the bass side, I I love events like they do on Fork, where they bring in one or two big ones to show the folks. The rest are still in the lake. Like from a conservation standpoint, I- I'm all for trying to do what's best for the future. But um, I think I'm all about putting them in my live well. But it's just not. If I love it and I miss that, but at the end of the day, like what you just said, it's not good for the conservation. Of the sport, so. Oh yeah, I'll agree. Like there's nothing cooler than going back to the live well, opening up here. Like damn, we sacked them up, boys. Yeah, and, like that's awesome. But was- like. For a minute and shut the lid yes yeah, yeah. For, from a but, conservation standpoint i love the bpt format especially for smallmouth fisheries in the summertime right like as somebody who's a full-time smallmouth guide it kills me when tournaments weigh in 100 smallmouth and probably 85 of them are going to die from barrow trauma because 90 percent don't know how to fizz them properly and two i mean they just die because you're pulling them out of 40 foot of water regardless like those are the tournaments. I almost don't even fish smallmouth tournaments anymore in the summer because of that fact. It's a big resource for me, and I hate seeing fish die. So, like, I'm a huge proponent on catchway release tournaments for smallmouth fisheries, any fishery in the south in the harder summer. It just you got to protect them. I hated. I didn't want to mention that, but yeah, I mean, if we're being honest, there's a lot of. I think even the largemouth, obviously not springtime when the water's cold, but there's a, I think a lot of fish don't make it in largemouth in the summertime, you know, the, the hotter months, they just don't make it. 
And um, I think we're going to see the way technology is going. I think we're going to get to a point. I know everyone likes the stage and holding up five fish and, or whatever number, you know, whatever that is. But at the end of the day, I think we're going to get to a point where everyone's catchway and release. I would say within five years, personally. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but I think that if you look at the way the technology's trended in the last five or ten years, and they're going to have something where fish are weighed in the boat and released, you know. And for the conservation aspect of it, I think that's the best thing for the sport. Um, I think fishing has gotten so big in the last – especially since COVID, it's gotten crazy. They've gotten dang hard to catch. They're super educated. And then you take that and you throw in a turn, you know, some lakes, three, four tournaments a week that go on. Like you're killing fish, you're educating fish. Like I just think, I think the day is coming sooner than later where we're going to see catchway release. Maybe not every, you know, Tuesday night, you know, or Wednesday night dog fight tournament we have down here, whatever, you know, they're going to do cat, you know, catchway release. But for the most part, I think it's going to start trending that way more so than not. So yeah. yeah, it's gonna be super interesting to see because I mean, there's obviously a lot of fisheries being affected, and like every niche in not even just fishing, but in general, you know, the people at the top, whether it's sports and you're talking professional leagues or you guys, uh, in terms of BPT and bass, uh, in terms of fishing, like the people at the top are the ones that have to set the example and kind of lead by that. So, if someone's like, if, if, if there's no voice at the top that's leading the direction of conservation, which uh, I think there's a lot of companies that are positioning to do that. Um, a lot of brands, uh, being that I went to, I went to the ASA summit this past fall, a lot of big brands are there like AFCO and such. There's a lot of big plans in place. And I think the leagues that really get behind that, which you know, the MLF has done with this catchway release, it's, it's definitely a strong proponent. Um, but I also understand the flip side of people like to see fish being weighed in which I've always like said multiple times on this show to Andy is like, I, that's why I liked if you, if you wanted to bring fish back to set a slot limit, like you guys do like a two pound limit for events, set a, a slot limit for each tournament that's customized for that Lake, bring in one or two big ones. Cause even when you bring in five, you're not showing five, you're showing one or two, but you don't need to bring all the fish back. So I, I, I feel like that Texas fest style that what you see on like Lake Fork, is a way to get best of both worlds, at least for the intermediate of like appeasing those people that come to weigh-ins, but also being conservative in terms of the fish. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think this one is for, at least for Andy and I, it's just two guys that watch fishing with our opinions. Whereas like you're on the front lines of this. No, I like of, it. yeah. it's one thing being in it all the time, but yeah, I think you just said something that I think that is the perfect happy medium, but I don't know. Cause I do know at Lake Fork when Bass did that deal. Of course, I watch everything, but like, I think their bass track was accurate, very similar to what score tracker was for us. Am I right? Yeah. knew before they even went up on the stage with one eight pounder or whatever, um, everyone kind of knew the results. I don't know if, if MLF was to do that. Do you cut the score track? There's so many different ways. I know everyone's thought of every way, but yeah, to your point though, you get the best of both worlds doing that. But how intriguing is a weigh-in if you already know the results? Right. I, I would. So here, here's an aspect where I think the kayak side could help influence and, and stick with me here. Okay. Uh, I think that could influence where in kayak tournaments, they shut off their standings with a couple hours to go in a tournament, especially on say a final day where it could be super interesting. I think this would be a great media play, especially from a fan standpoint where say you're watching, you know, who's leading you know who's leading after a couple hours on a morning, say on a, on a final day, 9, 10 a.m., 
say 11 noon rolls around, you shut them off completely. No one can see them. And you watch people catch and upgrade throughout those last couple hours. And now you have people bantering online of like, nah, man, this fish is bigger than his. I think he's got it. But you don't know until they come to the stage and it's like revealed. I feel like that can add suspense, add some banter. Watching the fish, you're saying you're still watching the fishing. Yes. But there's no weights. You don't know who has what at that point. I like that a lot. I never thought, because I guess the question that I had, not to get off track to what you just said, that's a very, very good point. But like, what would you, what would the fans rather see? Obviously, everyone likes seeing the fish on the stage. They want that moment. But I think it's pretty dang, and this isn't trying to, I think it's cool to actually watch it go down to the end too. You don't have that moment on a stage. You have that moment, but you're watching it go down like a football game or a baseball game to the last cast. And see Bobby Lane reeling a two-pound, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. well, too, I like what you just said. is like a happy medium middle ground. I'm sure that that's been thought of, but I, I like that a lot. Because it adds suspense. Still watching yeah, it all. It adds a new drama standpoint. Yeah, it does. I like that. I'm sure it's been thought of, but I'm going to keep that one. I'm going to keep that one. I might have to mention that one. I'm sure it's been talked about, but that's pretty good, dude. I like that. If not, I think someone listening to this probably already has taken it and ran. <laughs> We're all screwed. <laughs> it was there. Hey, whatever. I mean, as long as hopefully this, whatever works out for everyone in the end is all, you know, all that matters. But no, that would be pretty Agreed. cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there's different ways to go about it. I, either way, like, I, I love tournament fishing. I just hope that whatever we're doing is for the preservation of just fishing in general, but just hope that like the sport keeps remaining on. Um, but yeah, I mean, did you, this, this topic is something super exciting for me just in terms of talking about it. Like this is another thing that we could go on for hours. Uh, and we'll have to have another kind of, we'll have to have, get you on again to talk about some of these nitty gritty topics that we brought up yeah. tonight. I, I've yeah. got them. I got them back on here. Um, <laughs> Let me but know. I, I Dude, heck yeah. Uh, it's been a lot of fun tonight. Uh, and I want to bring up one nugget again because I'm not letting this slide because I was super curious about it. But is that like a thing that people are keeping hidden about this heat gun with grass when the temps are cold? You brought that up earlier. No, dude, I do a lot of weird stuff. I've got micrometers all over the place and I do a lot of weird things. And the heat gun was, uh, well, it started out my water temp gauge was messed up. So I started using the heat gun and then I started finding all these goofy ways to check temps and do weird stuff. But definitely, you know, can learn a little bit about uh, mat fish. You can understand mat fishing a little bit better if you go around with a heat gun and kind of, which obviously once I've spelled it out, you don't have to, but um, it just helped make sense of things for me a little bit. So, and actually seeing, Hey, this is actually, even though it's freaking freezing cold outside, but the sun's out. It is actually 10 degrees warmer. You know, this actual mat is 10 degrees warmer than what the water is. So. I like that. It's got my wheels turning. What's that? It's got my wheels turning now. Like, (laughs) I'm going to see Bailey posted up on the kayak and someone's going to be taking a picture of him shooting stuff with a heat gun. (laughs) (laughs) He's shooting fish to see if the fish has come up out of deep water. I mean, there's all kinds of you think about it. Dude, I mean, stuff like that. Like, that's something I thought about, too, where it's like, uh, for me, I'm an offshore guy. Like, I, I love, whether it's large mouth, small mouth, I love to be off the bank. It's just, I don't know. But one of the things I was thinking about as of late was, you know what the surface temperatures are, and you know, especially, like, early spring or late fall, if you get, like, one of those super cold mornings and really hot evenings, 
the surface temperatures can really fluctuate or especially if you're fishing 20, 30 feet where I've thought about taking like paracord to a thermometer and a weight and dropping it down and letting it drift with me to get like a reading on what it is on the bottom. Yeah. Like my mind's just going to go, it's going in all different directions. So it's a whole like, down there. Yeah. Then, and, but that's like one thing I'm like, am I going to get in trouble if I do something like that? Is there any rules against it? If I'm troll, like, is that considered like, I don't know. I've just been going all over the place with that, but it's, no, that makes, I mean, it would be interesting. Yeah. I mean, there's gotta be something. I mean, I know like Andy, you, you've said that there's like a, like a certain, what I, what is it called for Erie or the Great Lakes? Oh, so uh, I can't, there's a, a water plant outside of Buffalo that takes water to 35 foot down, but there's actually a unit that salmon trollers use. I believe it's called a fish hawk. And they put that on their trolling boats that's attached to a downrigger ball, depending on how deep it is. It'll tell you the water temp, like 80, 100, 150 foot down on the downrigger ball. And it's a unit that you can install on your boat that will give you the water temp down. But it has to be attached to something, I believe. Hmm. Well, so I don't know if Fletcher would ever fish water that would get colder because it's too it's deep enough but like i mean you're gonna see like jacob wheeler now with a damn downrigger on his boat just to get water temperature difference it's yeah, got it's yeah. <laughs> we're out chasing temps now that's right <laughs> yeah whatever helps right whatever helps <laughs> yeah dude, i mean the rate that technology's going i mean you're just going to be able to just like pan your forward facing and you're going to like click at a certain depth out in front of you and it's going to be like this is what the water temp is down here like it's going to tell you something wild feet down 15 feet down yep yeah that's right no i try to fish to where if i can't i always joke around and say i can't swim so i can't fish in any water deeper than what i can touch that's <laughs> I <usually. love> that. <laughs> it doesn't always work like that like obviously i I had a couple terms this year where I caught them deeper, but if I could have my preference, it'd be obviously a lot shallower. So, right. Well, Andy, do you have anything left for Fletcher before we hit him with the last couple fun questions? No, I look forward to future episodes because I feel like there's a lot of stuff to be uncovered here. So <laughs> I just want to say thank you for coming on. It's yeah, good th- meeting you guys. Yeah, this is cool. Had a good time. Heck yeah, dude. We're, we're definitely making a, a second appearance here. We're going to have to reschedule right after tonight because I feel like there's a lot of un, untapped banter that we haven't got into yet that we need to uh, we need to finish. But, um, okay, so I have two fun questions for you to wrap it up and watch you go. Uh, someone had put a, a question about uh, a cage match between you and Hunter and who would win, but I'm changing that up, and we're going to throw it back to the motocross days. Who would, be, who would win in a race if you and Hunter won be one? Right now, back in the day, like you're both your prime. Well, it, it varied. So obviously, I was a little bit older. I'm three years older than Hunter. So for the most right. part, most of the years, I was faster than him. But you know, quite a bit. And then there was a point where he got a little bit ahead of me, and then I had to get that back because you're always he was always fighting injuries, and like one of us would get hurt and would be out for two or three months, and then one of us would be riding the whole time. And one of us would try to come back. And next thing you know, Hunter's passing me. And oh, hell no, we can't have that. You know what I mean? So then get it, get back up to good that I get hurt. This was a constant deal. But at the end of the day, he ended up going, I would say at the, at the peak of it all, he ended up going faster than me for a year okay. or so. So now if we was to race right now, I'm good for Take one. 
about all I've got for fitness. Oh, I love that. That's one thing that's kind of cool too. Like I, I, I want to be careful with this because we'll go down a, another rabbit hole and there'll be another hour. Uh, but like how, like, like a sport like motocross, people don't realize how heavy fitness is like in, involved in something like that, where they think, Oh, like you get on a bike and you ride and that's all it is. <laughs> ah, it's not that. Dude, it's bad. Like I would rather run, do cardio, crazy cardio other than ride a dirt bike. Like my heart rate will go insane high within a minute like it's if you're going hard and trying to do everything right like it's it's intense dang that's awesome basically max i would redline my heart rate racing like i had a trainer this has been forever ago now but i had a trainer obviously that i'd run my whatever my uh pulse you know what i mean and I, i was running i could run for like two minutes straight as fast as i could and i could not get my heart rate as high and I could on my dirt bike. So Dang. it's just pure have, adrenaline pace for obviously a long period of time. Now I don't have that in me, dude. I'm good for like a lap, lap and a half and I can go longer, but I start to get tired and I start messing up. You know what I mean? And I don't breathe well, cause you got to get into a rhythm of breathing with what you're doing too, you know? And there's times if I just jump on a bike, like I don't breathe for a minute straight. <laughs> so, because you're so focused on doing everything right and not wrecking, you literally can forget to breathe if you're going hard. You know what I mean? So Dang, that's wild. That is nuts. Uh, we have our incredible athletes. Like they've done a lot of studies on it and they are the, it's one of the roughest sports out there, period. I think they had it at number one for a while. Like ESPN or someone did a lot of research and got down into, you know, into the nitty gritty with it. Yeah. The fitness side of a moto, you know, motocross athletes, pretty dang crazy most of it's obviously aerobic like you're not lifting heavy weights you know what i mean it's just more endurance stuff but it's it's pretty gnarly so yeah i mean that i mean we'll put like <laughs> like wrestling's another one like andy like wrestling i think the hardest part of wrestling is the damn like having to like cut weight and not eat food and crap like that i couldn't do that because i'm fat uh, but, like it wasn't that bad um i i honestly think like the endurance part of wrestling was the hardest part because like you're talking about working out and sprinting for two minutes. Literally, when I wrestled back in high school, I would probably run six to ten miles a day, go to the weight room and lift, and then wrestle for two and a half hours after school. And, like, I'd run a 5K in the morning, lift when I got to school, go to school all day, sleep all day at school, sleep wrestle, <laughs> then go home and run another 5K at night after I would eat, like, a turkey sandwich and some potatoes. Like, we're talking, like, maybe four ounces of each. <laughs> Good grief. Yeah. That's Just pretty hard. Just keep weight maintained. Yeah. It, it, was, uh, it was wild. Well, dude, uh, if, if we're getting on the sports <laughs> stuff. Life anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Participate, you know? Right. Yeah. It's, you, I feel like you hit that, that point in your life where it's just like, yeah, I'll let, I'll let them do it now. Like I'm, I'm content in my level. <laughs> I'll just stand here. Exactly. Right. Show up at the track, do a couple laps. Be like, ah, I'm old. I'm tired. That's it. The end. <laughs> Let's go fishing. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, dude, uh, last question for you for the night and we'll, we'll let you go. We've gotten you for about an hour and a half. Uh, and seriously appreciate your time. It's been a lot of fun. Okay. Um, and that is if you could sit down, have a steak and a beer with three different individuals. They don't have to be fishing industry. They could be a live 
thousand years ago, like it doesn't it doesn't matter. You can bring any three people, have a steak, have a beer. Who are you gonna choose? Dude, you asked me a hard question there. It's mm-hmm. loaded. It really it's loaded. That's not, that's not something I because if I start picking names, I don't know. I don't know off the top of my head. Well, that's the fun part about this question is we never tell anybody about it. And the amount of messages we get afterwards of like, oh, man, I should have said so-and-so. Like, it gets people thinking. I think that's the coolest part about it, especially with no warning. I guess it depends on how deep you want to go, too. Like, I don't, I don't know. Just start, start firing them, the names that come to mind. I think Kevin Hart would be a good one. Yes. Just so I could laugh. I don't know where that one came from. Uh, <laughs> there's one. Shoot. He's literally shooting from the hip right now. I love it. This is good. <laughs> Kevin Hart and then uh, – Shoot, man. Hey, like him or hate him, I'd like to just be around Donald Trump for like five minutes just to see the type. I mean, like away from camera lights, you know, all that stuff. Right. That would be pretty cool. That'd yeah, be- like are you like this all the time or is this only when camera's around? What do you like when the camera's not on? Like what? I'm just, yeah. you know, um, the third one, dude. That's hard. Yeah. To say. I don't know. I've been fortunate to meet a lot of people that I've really looked up to over the years, more so recently. Um, but uh, I don't know. I can't come up with a third one. Okay, we can roll with that. What about uh, how about this? I, I actually threw this on one of our recent guests, and I'm using this as a plan B. Or if like, because there's a lot of people that can't can't come up with three. It's it's like Andy said. It's a loaded question, Is especially it? spur of the moment. Yeah. Um, but if you were to go. Uh, like team tournament fishing, someone from BPT, who would be your first pick for if it was a team tournament? Oh, Jacob Wheeler. I'll just sit down. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. I'll just sit down. I'll make sure I have plenty to eat and drink. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think, I think it was your brother that said that. And he posted a a picture with Jacob. They just won some tournament and he's like, had a great day calling fish and, Work in the net or something like that. <laughs> I don't even think he had a chance to fish, but it, I think he just briefly spoke something about it to me on the phone. I don't even think he had a chance to fish. It was just kind of like, "Here, get this one. Do the call. There you go." <laughs> over. Big old yikes! You're like a Fun day. Yeah, good job, bud. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish I could say more right now, but yeah, you'll see. It just yeah, it's it's stupid. I don't I don't get it. But. That's awesome. I mean, you're like a fishing caddy at that point. That's really what it is. <laughs> much. Uh, which rod would you like me to tie a bait on for you, sir? What's that? So, which rod do you want me to tie your bait on for you? Probably can't even do that right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, dude, again, seriously, thank you a ton for coming on. I wanted to say congratulations on the Munchkin. Um, that's awesome, adding to the family. And congratulations. Good to see that it's doing well. And uh, I mean, is a son, daughter? I can't remember. Daughter, yeah. She's still in the NICU. Um, we're hoping to have Christmas, but we'll see. So well, she's really good, though. Hope that happens, man. She was 2'5 or 2'4 when she was born. She's seven pounds today. So she's getting yeah, up there. Getting yeah. there fast. Yeah. That's awesome, man. They can do. Yeah, well, congratulations, and yeah. I hope uh, you guys can bring her home for the holidays. That'd be awesome. And, uh, dude, we'll be talking to you, but I really want to get you back on for another show. Okay. Yeah, I'm for it, so I appreciate you guys.
Good awesome, chat. dude. We'll talk to you. Okay. Thanks, guys. See you, Fletcher. Have a good Love night. Dude, I, I feel like if we kept talking about the uh, the sports side that we were going to go for like hours. Yeah, there's there's a lot of sports side to fishing in general that a lot of people don't realize, especially in competitive bass fishing. Like when he's talking about riding a dirt bike around the track, I'm thinking of like that 30-mile run in the morning through two-foot waves doing 50 miles an hour at a bass boat. Like that's just stuff that gets your heart rate going through the roof. It's, yeah, uh, I it's think, a lot of fun. I mean, I mean, talking about that, like from a boat standpoint, that's just like the ability to take a beating. I think that's really what that is. <laughs> yeah, that that's that is also a great point. But that, like the flip side is standing on the front deck all day in those waves on top of it. Like I come home all the time. I'm like, man, I burned twenty seven hundred calories today fishing on Lake Erie, and she's like, what? <laughs> Like, yeah, like I climbed 72 flights of stairs. There was four footers. She's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like good shoes and stuff is like a real thing, especially when you're like going balls out like a full-time pro angler like yeah. Fletcher is, or you as a guide where you're out the whole time. I mean, like it's <laughs> not a joke. Like That's why yeah. I- I'm surprised more guys don't have like a shoe sponsored for that exact reason. Uh, I know there's like flip-flop stuff like Olukai and stuff like that. I probably pronounced that name wrong, but um, I mean, like I know Sims has a couple things, but like from a shoe standpoint though, like there's a lot of guys that like I've, I don't know why I notice these small things, but there's guys that have expensive freaking shoes that you have no idea what the brand names are. They're like $300 shoes because of like soles for standing on a boat for that long. Like guys don't go, they think about that stuff. Um, and that's one thing I'm, I'm just curious about. No one's done that from a sponsor standpoint, but thank gosh um, for padded front decks, like going for my Triton into my new Cavus, the padded front deck is a lifesaver on my heels, my legs, my back. Like it's so much more comfortable, especially with a good pair of shoes. Yeah. They have yeah, good arch support and heel support for sure. That, that was a lot of fun. There's a lot of nuggets in that one, dude, from, oh, too many the heat gun to like the punching cadence to what grass is good and not like and he talked about like yeah there's a bunch of you know like eel grass that's matted up like on gunnersville like i would be the guy to fish that like when you see that up north he he made a great point like you see up north like you're gonna catch a fish out of it like yeah it doesn't matter what grass you flip usually like you'll catch a fish in it they don't care I mean, like, there's definitely more fish in, like, a milfoil, but, like, if there's anything matted that's, like, attached to either submerged grass or on the bank, you're going to catch a fish on it. Especially if there's more than six inches, there's a fish under it, typically, oh, in the north, for sure. 100%. But uh, really, a uh, quick reminder for folks, um, the Omnia Fishing uh, Dial Reels giveaway is still going on for the, re- uh, I think it's the rest of the month, so until the new year. Uh, that link is down below. You guys can go check that out. Enter giveaway to win some free Daiwa reels, uh, which why wouldn't you? No brainer. Uh, check out the uh, new Lure Lab episode coming up. Uh, and Andy, uh, looking the rest of this week, we have uh, Keith Tuma joining us oh, for Friday's episode. He is back. The host is back. Uh, and then a week from today, we're going to have Spencer Shuffield on for Tuesday Night Live for next week. Um, so and again reminder that the thursday the 29th is going to be our live uh, for the new year slash christmas uh with rudd 
a dual live stream. So guys come to that one. That one's going to be kind of our not so serious episode. Get some friends on, have some beers, celebrate 2022 and ring in the new year. Hope to have you all uh, guys all there. Please. Uh, if you're listening on MP3, leave us a rating and review. If you have not already helps us up big time. Andy, anything else that I am missing for the folks? Um, off the top of my head, I think you do a valiant job at covering everything. <laughs> uh, if you could see my notebook over here, it's yeah, notes everywhere. Um, because you're the man. Good grief! No, <laughs> don't, don't ever say that again. <laughs> the man. Well, folks, appreciate you all, and we'll see you guys on Friday. <laughs>